Well, afternoon. You guys doing all right? It's, it's always fun getting to do the talk right after lunch, right? I mean, I'm thinking, okay, you have Dan who's here, who has like more energy than all my kids combined. And why in the world did they give him last night and give me the, the slot right after lunch where like my introvertedness is just gonna come out. And so uh, I, my, my hope is, is that this will really be a sweet time for you. Man, hey, let me just say thank you guys so much for your warm welcome. Man, it's been a, just a pleasure being with you today. Uh, one, getting to introduce myself, getting to meet some of you guys, but even, man, just talk about Syracuse. Uh, it is near and dear to my heart. It's a place that my family and I are gonna be living really maybe for the rest of our lives. And so uh, we are really excited about it. I love to get to talk about it. Uh, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, flip open to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is where we're gonna be for the, the rest of the afternoon. As you're turning there, I, I got to share a little bit about my family earlier, um, but one of the things that I've learned in, in having kids is that all my kids are different. Like the same mom, same dad, but it's incredible to me how different my kids really are. Like my oldest is the rule follower. I mean, he's the one that like, he tells me anytime someone gets out of line, whether I want to know it or not, he lets me know, hey, they got out of line. Daddy, you got out of line, right? He, he's that kid. Uh, and then my youngest, he is, he's wild and crazy. Um, with our, our oldest and middle, like we didn't have to like protect the entire house from like the chaos that, that ensues with kids. And, and my youngest, somehow he will climb up on something and I'm thinking, how the heck did you get up there? Right, I mean, he's, he's that kid. And then my middle one, uh, Trek, who you guys love to talk about, um, he's my introvert. He's my introvert. Massive, massive introvert. Trek is the kid that will come home. Um, he, he's in first grade right now. He's the kid that will come home from first grade and he'll walk in the house and he'll come right up to me if I'm home or whatnot. He'll go, dad, hey, um, do you care if like, I just go sit in my room for a little bit? I've been around people all day long. And like, I'm thinking, you're first grader. I mean, like how exhausting could the day really, really be? But as an introvert, like he comes in and again, me as an introvert, like I kind of understand. I'm like, bud, of course, go in there. Can I come with you and just sit and avoid the other? Like, no, no, like, like it's just one of those, like, like yeah, of course, dude. Well, needless to say, having three kids, I don't always get a ton of time with, with all the kids like individually. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is like I try to go out to dinner or like send two of them away with mom and then have one just by myself and trek. Uh, again, being the middle kid, we don't get a ton of time sometimes. And so we try to be really specific and, and make time. Well, a couple of years ago, mom, or I guess the oldest kid was away in school. Trek wasn't in school yet. And Jude, the youngest, they had taken him to the doctor's office. And uh, so Trek and I were like having just one-on-one -on -one time. Like, and, I'm, and I'm loving it. Like, listen, as a dad, I heard Stephen say that like almost every sermon he gives, he talks about his kids. And like, there's some truth in that of like being a dad is one of the joys of my life. And so we're having one of those moments. We're sitting there on the table and we're talking about life. You know, what'd you do today? You know, what, what did you kill in the video game? You know, like we're having that, we're about to go to like Nanny and granddaddy's, grandma, grandpa's house. And so we're talking about that. It's, it's snowing outside. And I'm like, well, do you wanna go play in the snow? Like we're having one of those moments like that I, I don't wanna forget it. Like I, I'm there and I'm like all in, like I'm locked eyes with him. We're just having conversation. And I say to him like, hey, bud, man, don't you, we're just, this is really fun for daddy. Like, don't you just really enjoy time with dad? And he looks up at me with those big old brown eyes and he says, dad, I really just love food. 
And like, there's a part of me that's thinking like, that's a kid after my own heart, right? I mean, like part of me is like, I'm excited, but thank, I'm glad. But like the other part of me is like, dude, you're missing it. You're completely missing the moment. Like you and I don't get a ton of time together and we're both introverts. And like, so we're, we're, you're just, you're missing it. And listen, I know that I'm gonna blink my eyes and the kids are gonna be out of the house and I'm gonna miss these days. And I don't want them to miss it. And Trek was absolutely missing the moment. So come here, here's what I need you to hear. I don't want you to miss the moment. Like I know there's a lot of things that are going on in your lives right now, right? Your belly is full. You, you have so many things. You may be thinking about projects that you have to get done. You, you may be thinking man, about all the, all the things in life that are outside of this room. And, and I'm just gonna beg and plead for the next 25 minutes or so that you just don't miss it. Like I know that we're looking at a passage that is maybe very familiar to you, but my hope is that maybe I'm gonna say something or the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you in a way and I just don't want you to miss the moment. Whether you've been a believer for years and years and years or, or whether maybe you, you've just like, God has just saved you and you're trying to like figure out your faith and you're kind of figuring out what this whole following Jesus means. Like, I don't want you to miss it because today is for you. Because today we're gonna talk about mission. Like we're gonna talk about what it means to be sent, what it means to send. And like, if one of the marks of being a disciple is to be on mission, like, what is it? And so we're gonna spend our time at the very end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. Before we read it, I just wanna make this note. Like there's something about when a letter is like finishing up or like there's something about the end of something in which we kind of want to, like we wanna remember it. And Matthew, like Jesus is really trying to say like, hey, I don't want you to miss it. If you haven't heard anything else, like I don't want you to miss this, hear this. And so Matthew chapter 28, let's pick it up in verse 16. This is what he says. It says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then here's kind of our mission, our sent statement in its simplest form. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, a couple of thoughts before we jump in too far. Uh, just kind of two introductory thoughts regarding this passage right here. The first is this, that the commission that we just read is for all followers of Jesus and not just a special few. All followers of Jesus and not just a special few. I don't know when this began to, to creep inside the church or to creep inside like Western Christianity, but there's something that is done where it's like that, that the commission is reserved for like a special few. It's reserved for my pastor. It's reserved for my connection group leader or my discipleship leader or whatever it is. Like it's reserved for them. Like, like I don't really think that this is reserved for, for me. Like, like I, I don't have a theological degree. Like, like I, I really know my Bible very, very little. Like I'm just trying to learn, like, but I need you to hear me that the commission here is for all those who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus. And just in case you're thinking to yourself, like, I'm not qualified for this. You're in great company. You're in great company. Not a single one of us is qualified for this. In fact, even the, the 11 disciples, if, if you know the story of the gospels, you'll know that even the, the 11 disciples 12 disciples, right? Minus Judas, right? Even, even they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Like little education, poor, nothing to offer. And so if that's you, you are in great company. You're exactly who God wants to use 
to fulfill the great commission. It's not for a special few, it's for all of us. And then the second thought that I just need to make us clear on before we jump in is that the emphasis, the emphasis of our mission is on making disciples and not just evangelism. Now hear me. I'm not saying, nor is Matthew, nor is Jesus saying that evangelism is not important. It absolutely is. I want nothing more than for you to talk about your, your love for Jesus. However, this great commission statement in it, Matthew is emphasizing making disciples. Why? Because if we're making disciples, like we're gonna talk about here in just a minute, evangelism and sharing your faith are absolutely gonna happen. But it's not the only thing that will happen. Right? Like making disciples is not a, a once and done kind of thing. It, it's not like, like, I don't know about you, but I, I, growing up, there were times where I used to think like, if I just live a moral life, like people are going to look in and they're gonna see like, man, Jason, like he's a good kid. And they're just gonna go, he must be a follower of Jesus. And I, and I wanna go, man, listen, I, I want you to live a moral life, but more, I want you to share. I want you to be vocal about your faith in Jesus, but, but not just once. I want you to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is the mission that God gave us. So then what, what's involved in making disciples? Like, like, what are we doing as the sent out ones? What's involved in living this out? Well, the text tells us, look back at the text. He says to go, to baptize, and to teach. So, so here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at each one of these three ideas, going, baptizing, and teaching. And I just wanna unpack them for us, but I wanna do so in reverse order. So I wanna start with teaching. The text says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. So I, I wanna look at this really with two different questions in mind. How do we teach and what are we teaching? How do we teach and what are we teaching? You see, teaching in our day is, is done a little bit differently than it was done in Jesus' day. In our day, primarily the teaching is done in a lot, like a situation, a setting like this, where there's one person who's up, who's unpacking the word or whatever it is we're teaching. And then there are those who are in rows out there who are listening, hopefully taking notes, observing everything that is happening. And that happened in the first century, but not as much as it does today. In fact, the primary way for teaching to take place would have been for like a, a, a mentor or a rabbi, a teacher to be followed around by a group of disciples. So the, the mentor would be walking around and he would just have, and so as he would go about his daily life, there are those who are behind him, his disciples that are just observing everything that he's saying, how he is interacting with every single person. Like, and this really is kind of a foreign concept to a lot of us. Like, like for me, the first time that I really got to experience this, like this kind of teaching was when I went to Africa. I remember my, my landlord of the place where I lived, a pretty wealthy man, and he kept trying to invite myself and my two roommates to go with him to meet the imam, the sheikh in the community in which he worshiped. And they're Muslims, and, and so he, he invites us and we finally say yes. And I remember like pulling up to the house and the way the house would be, it would, it would have a house, but then there was like a, a fence, like a, really a, a wall that was separating the road from like the inside of the yard where they would be. And I remember walking up inside the yard and here's what I saw. I saw multiple teachers sitting around training their students. And like part of me was going, that is, 
that's really incredible. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, they're not teaching about Jesus. They're not teaching about Jesus at all. But they're sitting there, the, the students are sitting there and they're just absorbing everything. This is more the way that the teaching was done in Jesus's day. And so I say that because uh, like the expectation shouldn't be for me or for Dan or Stephen or whoever it might be to come up here and you're like, that's the teaching. No, the, the teaching can happen as you go about your daily life, where you live, where you play, where you work, you can teach. I mean, have you ever thought about this? It seems to me as I read the accounts of Jesus that he goes deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer people. Have you ever noticed this? Like into the Bible, we, we're told that there was like this 120 that was following Jesus around. But then even inside the 120, we're told that there was this crew of 72. And then even inside the 72, we're told about the 12 disciples. But then even inside the 12 disciples, we know what? The inner circle, Peter, James, and John. It seems to me that the model that Jesus is showing us how to teach is to grab a few people around you and say, listen to me. Let me share about the hope that lives within me and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to teach them the words of Jesus in hopes that you disciple them so that they in part then do the very same thing. So the method of making disciples is sending them out for the mission that Jesus had for them but not just in large crowds, in smaller groups. So that's the how, but what about the what? If you ask the question, or if I asked you the question, what did Jesus talk about most in the Bible during his earthly ministry, what would you say? What did Jesus talk about most? Heaven? Hell? Maybe it's money? Like, what if I told you that the topic that Jesus talked about most in the Bible is the kingdom of God? And in fact, just to show you how important this topic is to Jesus, let me just read a couple different passages from the book of Acts. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read them out loud. Uh, in Acts chapter one, the very beginning of Acts, the very first few verses, this is what it says. And I know Stephen taught on this on Thursday night, but I just wanna reread it a little bit. I wrote the first narrative Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. And listen to this, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So of all the things, all the things that Jesus could have spoke about for those 40 days, and I'm sure he spoke about many, but Luke records that the one that he talked about the most is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And then at the very end of the book of Acts, so if you flip to the very last chapter in the book of Acts, we have this recording about, about the apostle Paul. And this is what it says, that Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So the apostle Paul who writes 13 books in our New Testament is coming to the end of his life and he's sitting there in chains and he is talking and teaching about the kingdom of God, which should be like, the question that should be going on in your mind right now then is what is the kingdom of God? 
And, and maybe, you, maybe some of you know about the kingdom of God, but if, if it's so important, we need to understand what the kingdom of God is. If this is what we're to be teaching about, what is then the kingdom of God? Well, I think first I wanna say what it's not. Because here's what we've done when it comes to kingdom. Because we live in the Western world, we think kingdom, like, like we think ruling with power. We think about ruling with authority. We think about coming in and using whatever force and whatever might we can to make whatever we're passionate about the general consensus. Like, like that's, the, that's what we think about. Or, or maybe even for our day, amen or ouch to this one, like we think about it in terms of political power. Like sometimes I think we think about the kingdom of God as if we can just get the right people elected. If we can just get them to, to power, then, then it's gonna make everything okay. And listen, I'm not saying that politics isn't important. Don't hear me say that. But if we're putting all of our eggs in that basket, that's not the kingdom of God. Or maybe we put all of our eggs in the basket of like the kingdom of money. Maybe like your hope and your goal is in life is to make as much money as you possibly can and she'll, you'll do whatever it is to make sure that happens. The kingdom is not living however you wanna live. The kingdom is not making Jesus fit whatever situation, whatever scenario you want him to fit in. That's not the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're really talking about a few different thoughts and a few different ideas. Here's the first idea we're talking about when it comes to the kingdom of God, that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king. And listen, if Jesus is king, you're not. If Jesus is king, then we must live according to the kingdom that he has set forth. And the kingdom that he has set forth is completely upside down to the kingdom that we think it should be. I mean, even the first century, when they were waiting for the Messiah, they were thinking, he's gotta come with power. He's gotta come on a white horse. Like he's gotta overthrow the Romans. And then Jesus comes as a humble baby. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is king. And his kingdom looks a little bit like this. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That, that's not the kingdom that I think about. In the kingdom of God, not only is there a king named Jesus, but it means that he reigns. He has authority. He has ownership of your life. In the kingdom of God, he has a people and his people follow his rule and his people live according to how he commands us to live. And if that doesn't make much sense to you, let me say it another way. Our message as we proclaim the kingdom of God is that Jesus is king and our allegiance is to him and him alone. His message of salvation, hope, grace, mercy, forgiveness is worth proclaiming and teaching. We teach that salvation can only be found in this king. We teach that this kingdom has a people and we as his disciples are those people. We teach that one day every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and realize that Jesus is who he says he is and that his kingship will never end. We teach that the good news is good news for all, no matter who you are or no matter what you've done. All have been offered the free gift of salvation if we'll simply place our allegiance to him and him alone. This is our message. This is what we teach. Sorry, I get fired up and I talk about the kingdom of God. This brings us incredible news, does it not? if we've placed our hope and faith in him. And listen, you might be thinking at this point, like, I don't know if I talk about this all the time. Like every time I talk about Jesus, I don't know if that's okay. 
Like, listen, sometimes we only get a few minutes to talk about Jesus. And like, listen, I just hope that you're faithful with however long you have. But it's not just teaching that we live out on our mission. The text also says this, baptism. Look back at the text. It says, we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So I, I don't wanna take too much time on here, but I wanna just mention two things about baptism. First, this is teaching us about Jesus's identity. Like there's a lot of debate that's happening right now about who is Jesus. Like, is he really God? Like, is he 100% God? Is he 100% man at this? Like, who is Jesus? Like the text right there, it tells us that Jesus is divine. That he is God. He's saying that I am king. I am making all things new. You are my disciples and you do this to show the world that you are my disciples. Which leads us to the second thing I just wanna say about baptism. Not only does it teach us about Jesus's identity, but it shows a watching world where our allegiance lies. It shows the watching world where our allegiance lies. Listen, baptism in and of itself does not save us, but baptism is extremely important because it shows the watching world that I am his and he is mine. And sometimes we just take this for granted. We take it for granted. When I lived in Africa, the way, here's the way we would baptize. I only had the, the privilege of seeing a couple different people come to know Jesus as their savior and Lord. But here's how the church in Sudan would baptize. They would take them out to the Nile. We'd go out to the Nile River and the guy or the girl would lay down and one person would grab their hands and one person would grab their feet. And we would do this. We would say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> splash out in the Nile with the crocodiles. Not really, there are no crocodiles. And come on back in. And here's what it symbolized. As they were coming back in, I'm no longer professing to be a Muslim. That's the old me. As I come back on the beach and listen, there were multiple people watching. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is why baptism is important. It shares where our allegiance lies but there's one last piece of this commission. And it's really what this whole retreat is about. Yes, we teach, yes, we baptize, but we're also told to go. And here's what I need you to understand about this going. This is not like a, hey, um, when you have some time, when you, when you have a little bit of free time on your hands, like if, if you could please, like if, if, you, could, if you could go, this is not, oh, hey, when you get some time, maybe when you get to a place where you know more about your Bible, could you go and do something for me? Really what Jesus is saying here is, as you go, make disciples. As you go, meaning that as you go about your daily life, as you walk on your campus, as you go to your job, as you go and interact with your family, whatever that might be, as you go and do your everyday life, make disciples. Jesus is saying this to those listening, assuming that they were going, or better yet, knowing that they would go. And as God's people, we are a going people. We are a sent people. Why? Because our God is a sent God. He is a sent King. He was sent to seek and save the lost. He was sent to set us free. He was sent to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserve and I deserve to take on the guilt and shame and sin of the world. He was sent to defeat and conquer death. He was sent so that salvation could be ours. And now he calls you and he calls me to be sent people. 
but it begs the question, where are we sent? Where are we to go? You know, in the text, it tells us, if you look back at it, to make disciples, what? Of all nations. And listen, some of you are gonna be called to do just that. Like you're going to leave family and friends and neighbors, the place you know, a language that you speak, to take the good news of Jesus to a place that's maybe never heard about him before. Some of you are. This was the call that was placed on my life right out of college, and that's why I'm so passionate about it with you guys, because I remember sitting in those seats going, I don't know if that's really me, and a year and a half later it was. Listen, I said yes to Sudan, not knowing the language, not knowing the people, having no clue what I was getting myself into. In fact, my mom, I, I told the, the group we were having lunch with, my mom, the whole time I was in the application process to go to Africa, like she was in denial. Literally, the day that I'm getting on the plane to fly to Sudan, she looks at me and says, so you're serious about this? <laughs> I got the ticket, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> where, this, is, this is happening, mom. Two years, didn't see him. Mom or dad, family, never came home. And listen, here's the reality. It was two of the hardest years of my life and two of the best years of my life all wrapped up in one. If you'd have bought my plane ticket the first six months that I was there, I would have taken you up on it. I didn't know the culture. I couldn't speak the language. I mean, literally just saying hello to something to someone was extremely intimidating, right? In, in Arabic, to just to greet us, salam alaikum. But he, and it sounds like, oh, you, could, you should have learned that in six months. Yeah, but then they would respond with, walikum as-salam. Then what am I supposed to do? But it's worth it. At the end of my two years, I didn't want to come home. I was begging and pleading with everything within me to stay. Because I'd seen God do some incredible things in and through me. So some of you, you're going to do just that. Whether it's a short-term trip or maybe you're gonna go live for two or three or four years or maybe you're gonna go live the rest of your life. And for others, you think, I just don't know about that. I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to do that. And maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe you're never gonna go overseas. Maybe you're never gonna move to Africa like I did. But let me just throw out a couple of thoughts for you. Have you ever thought, and listen students, I want you to hear me on this. Have you ever thought instead of praying, God, should I, should I go overseas? Should I? Should I go out on a church plant? Like expecting God 